Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. This section here goes to verse 11, although we probably won't get down to that today. And we are looking at the concept of enduring to the next generation. Let's take a moment and read through the first few verses anyway, and then we'll take it from there. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands." And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. So we're looking at the concept of enduring to the next generation. This is a little break from the Jacob Esau narrative. And what we are seeing here is really kind of the passing of the Abrahamic baton, if you will. He's died. But now the Lord is going to be reestablishing his covenant promise that he made to Abraham, and he's going to incorporate the second person into that. We have this formula that we are accustomed to hearing as we read through the Old Testament, which is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that's going to come about here. So in verses 1 to 6, as we are looking at the idea of enduring to the next generation, we see that God promises blessings to those who follow him. That's what verses 1 to 6 really teach us. God promises blessings to those who follow him. Following God is always a faith proposition. That's the theme of Abraham overarching all the others, is it not? I mean, that's what Abraham's life is about, is following God by faith. He leaves his homeland and he goes by faith. And then God tells him that he will give him a child in his late age and he has to believe him by faith. And then God tells him to be willing to sacrifice his only son. And he has to be willing to accept that and act on that by faith. His entire life is a faith proposition. And that's Abraham's life. And now we're going to see that this is going to be true of Isaac as well. We often wish, by the way, that there would be clearly marked signs along the way that demarcate God's path over and against man's. Like, which, which is God's direction for me? And what, you know, what's the difference between that and man's? We sometimes deceive ourselves into thinking that it is something so easy and that the two paths of Matthew chapter 7, 13, and 14 are clearly seen by all, the broad path that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. The problem is, is that the narrow path is the one that you can hardly see, and you certainly can't see down it very far. 
And the only assurance that you have is that God says, trust me. When we are walking on that narrow path or striving to, the entire process is a faith proposition. Now, the wide path, on the other hand, is not only easy to travel down, but it's full of men's wisdom. It's based solely on what they can observe. It's tangible. It's, you know, it's right there. It seems like it's empirical. What happens, though, when there is a great part of the reality that is not empirical? What happens when there is a spiritual reality that's not observable by those who are spiritually dead? And that reality plays an even more important role in life and the life after as anything that we can see in this life. Well, then we're left to our own senses, but are missing the big picture. You see, this is very, very important. You know, as we have this discussion and we're looking at the faith of Old Testament saints here, it's very, very important to understand the role of faith. And while everybody wants to trust and and rest solely on the scientific method and empirical data and the things which I can test and see with my own senses. The problem is, is we are not in a world and in a creation where that is the only reality, nor is it the ultimate reality. There is a spiritual component. We have to understand that this broad path that leads to destruction is primarily a spiritual path. This narrow path that leads to life is a spiritual path not something that you can find in a lab, not something that you can replicate, not something that you can finally wrap your mind around. You cannot wrap your mind around the infinite because this leads you to an infinite relationship with an infinite being who is God, who created you. So these are very important things for us as we begin this conversation. If you want God's blessing, then you're going to have to follow him and following him can be difficult at times. Following him is not always intuitive. Following him is not the easiest thing. But we see that this truth goes all the way back to the time of Abraham and Isaac, goes all the way back to even before them. It goes back to Noah. It goes back to Enoch. It goes back to all the people who were saved from the time of the expulsion from the garden. And I believe Adam and Eve were probably saved. We're going to see them in heaven one day. It's always been a faith proposition. God's blessings are for those who follow him, not for those who strive to live a good life and do things their own way. It's, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to walk by faith and not by sight? That's the real question. So now under this, as we begin to work through the text, then if God promises his blessings to those who follow him, how do we see this? Uh, being fleshed out in the text. Well, in verses 1 to 3, we see that God desires that his people obey him. There is a famine in the land, the text says, besides the former famine. It was in the days of Abraham. Isaac went up to Gerardo Abimelech, king of the Philistines, saw all this narrative. Now in verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. And he goes and and explains that some more, but he gives him a directive. When God gives us commands, and he gives us imperatives in the scripture, directives, we have a sacred duty to obey. God desires that his people obey him. So the setting then for this with regard to Isaac is the famine in the land. This this is a famine. In the Old Testament, uh, this is a very difficult thing, right? Uh, You could go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, where there's drought in the land, And you have Elijah, who is at the brook Cherith, 
and there getting his water and being fed by the ravens. And then you have the widow of Zarephath. I mean, there's a great famine in the land. Famine is very difficult on people and this widow of Zarephath and, you know, no different there. And we can see just how, what a toll it takes on people. And so to have a famine in the land is no small, small issue. Uh, we've largely been free of that for many generations now, uh, decades, at least in this country. But it appears now at the time of this recording, which it's fall of 2023, that not only are we potentially staring down at a famine in this country, uh, coming food shortage, that's the way it's being sold to us in the narrative and the, the news media, but it's not just for the United States, it's going to be global. There is coming a food shortage which will affect all the countries of the world, and now all the countries of the world are being told to prepare for it. Some countries uh, are already experiencing these things and having lesser and lesser access to food and things are getting very dire and they're only going to get worse. Famine is a serious thing. And during a time of famine, then you may, if you're going to follow God, at least in this circumstance, I'm not saying that this is prescriptive for believers today, but because God appeared to Isaac, He's now commanding him to do something that is different than maybe the gut reaction would be. So God gives him specific instruction in the setting of the famine. The positive instruction is this, remain in the land, which I said again is counterintuitive. The negative of this command is do not go down to Egypt. This would be intuitive. Egypt plays an interesting role here. When there was famine during Abraham's days, he went to Egypt and brought trouble to his house. Now in Isaac's day, another famine occurs and Egypt appears to provide relief. Later at the end of Jacob's life, there will once again be a great seven-year famine. And once again, Egypt will provide the solution. It seems that Egypt, because of uh, its fertile farm, uh, farming situation and everything there plays a pivotal role in this. And of course, we've already seen it in Abraham's day and we'll see it again in Jacob's day at the end of the book. And we're seeing it now here. And so the, the natural inclination is let's go down to Egypt where we can get food. Now, I would remind you, Genesis chapter 15 now here, going back 11 chapters, in verse 13 of Genesis 15, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God knew exactly what he was doing. He always does. It's, it's incredible. But in this particular instance, he says, do not go down to Egypt because for his father, it caused trouble and brought Hagar into the picture. And there were other issues that happened. Uh, they're going to end up in Egypt later, but not now, not at this particular junction in his life. But not only does God desire that his people obey him, verses 1 to 3, right? And then also in verse 3, he says, Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will establish it. This is when he's you know, going to say, I, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. He not only desires that people obey him, but in verses three to six, now, as we look at the rest of this, he blesses those who obey. So he says, if you do this, then there will be blessing. You want to, you want to be in the path of blessing for God. Then the way to do that 
is not to command him or to try and manipulate him through some kind of repetitious prayer or anything like that. It's going to be through following him by faith. That's where you put yourself in the path of his blessing. So you have the promise of blessing. What is it? Well, he says, first of all, I will be with you. Uh, That's the first aspect of this in verse three. As he sojourns in the land, God says, I will be with you. You have the promise of his presence. Second aspect of the blessing is the blessing itself. I will bless you. And we can take that to mean that he will go before him and make him to prosper in his ways, in his business dealings. He will be successful in the land. And that is part of the promise of God to his people who are sojourners and nomads in the land, that they will have protection of their livestock, their livestock will increase and not be sick, and all of the things that you would expect to see, this is part of the blessing of God. And he says, I will give this land to you and to your offspring. You obey me. You stay in here. You go against your intuition. Not only do you have the promise of my presence, you have the promise of my blessing, but I'm going to give this land, the land where you currently are, where there is a leader in the land by the name of Abimelech, who's actually not just a leader, but a king. One day this land will be yours. That king will no longer be there. The, they will not have authority of the land. You will have the land, he says. So there's a land promise in this. And then he says, I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham. Genesis 22, verses 16 to 18. And then he reiterates some aspects of that promise that he made to Abraham. He will multiply his offspring as the stars of heaven. That's Genesis 15, verse 5. And what does he say here? He says, what? Uh, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring these lands. So you have Genesis 15, 5, and then Genesis 26, 4. And then he also says what? In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. At the end of verse 4, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham started the process when I called him out and he obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Abraham demonstrated his faith. Abraham left his homeland. Abraham followed God's direction. Abraham uh, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was willing to offer up his only son, by the way, the son who's now receiving this. So there is a demonstration of faith. And so Isaac is hearing this going, hey, my dad did this. If I obey, I now am going to be put in the path of receiving the blessings of God. There is a demonstration of faith. How do we see it? In this very, very short verse, uh, verse 6 of Genesis 26, so Isaac settled in Gerar. He had a choice. He could have gone down to Egypt, followed the natural thinking of probably everybody around him during a time of famine, go where there's food, and God says, no, stick around, and I will provide for you. Where does Isaac go? Actions speak louder than words. He stays right where God told him. There is a demonstration of faith. And that brings us back to what we had actually mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. So that's really, in a nutshell, the idea that God promises blessings to those who follow him. This all falls under this idea of enduring to the next generation. You want to set yourself up in a position to succeed, not only in your own life, and by succeed, I mean succeed spiritually, to be in a good place to receive the blessings of God. 
then you're going to want to walk by faith. You're going to want to follow him, but not just for your own sake. You're going to want to do that for the people who come after you. If you are a, if you are a parent and you have children, then you're going to want to walk by faith and, and not only for yourself, but so that they can see that and that they can see that you're trying to honor the Lord. You're going to want to do that so that they can see that so that it can last down into the next generation. And they can see your obedience and in turn decide themselves and pray for the ability to obey as well. If you do those things, then you have the assurance in principle from this section of God's promised blessing because you are following him. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick up the text in our next episode in verse 7. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.